0: Hey there, brambling. It's Uncle Luke here. So, recently, there has actually been a lot in my mind, and, you know, a while back I actually had an incredible conversation with a friend of mine about Irish dance. And Honestly, it was probably one of the most healing things I've ever done for myself. And um, yeah, anyways, what that conversation actually inspired me to do was to have a little bit of a solo series with you today, because uh, I really wanted to talk to you about my experiences as a former competitive Irish dancer. Now before I continue, I I do want to make a few things clear. My intentions for telling my story is to heal myself. It's to validate and inform and to give language to any emotions or experiences that one might feel when they're going through a highly competitive sport or activity like Irish dance. I also want to lead with curiosity in hopes to challenge maybe any harmful beliefs that may affect a future dancer or athlete. I really do want to step into my values of connection and compassion as well as bringing bravery when telling these stories, and if I do get a bit emotional, it's it's probably because I am. It's taken me a really long time to move through this trauma as best as I can, and, you know, I really do want to let go of it. I, I don't want it to rule my life anymore. I also want to say that I will not be using any names as best as I can, and I really do just want to focus on my experience and not anyone else's. Now, before I uh, tell you a little bit more about my Experience as a competitive Irish dancer. I feel like I do have to go to the beginning and explain how did I get so attached to Irish dance. Well, growing up, um, I actually had two parents that worked full time jobs, and I actually had a lot of nannies growing up, and a lot of them actually, believe it or not, were into Irish dance. And oftentimes, they would actually put Irish dance music on or Celtic music on while they were going around the house. And sometimes we would even have like Irish dance parties. Um, in the kitchen also my mom and my aunt also did irish dance when they were young and my mom even had her old irish dance dresses that were embroidered by hand by my grandma also growing up i had a videotape of riverdance that i believe got played more than any other videotape in the entire house i was just surrounded and fascinated by irish dance now When I was about three years old, my mom decided to bite the bullet and sign me up for my first Irish dance class, and I honestly took to it like a fish does to water. I had so much fun learning. I had such a passion for the art that I actually made it to the highest level of competitive Irish dance by the age of nine. Now, in those six years, I actually became a heavily rewarded child. I collected so many trophies and medals that eventually I forgot what any of them were for. I started loving Irish dance so much to the point that it started to become who I was. I was over-identifying as an Irish dancer. I don't know if anyone remembers this back in the 90s, early 2000s. If you're ever watching like cartoons on cable television, these commercials would come up from the Canadian government and they were the concerned children's advertisements. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, there was one that was actually really famous and it was uh, it was about the North American house hippo and how it was found all throughout Eastern Canada and Western United States or whatever. And you know y- you just saw these images of this little tiny hippo going through the house like eating people's peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and yeah there was there was actually quite a number of them and all of them were actually quite weird but there was one that definitely stuck out to me uh growing up and it was the uh what's your thing nobody's good at everything but everybody's good at something my thing sound effects here's a t-rex bugs (laughs) And then the guy at the back of the bus being with his tuba and he's going boom, 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 boom boom, boom, boom. And then, oh, oh my gosh, the, uh, the magician boy waving his handkerchief and his little sister is in one of those boxes and his little sister goes, mom, mom, Aiden cut me in half again. What's your thing? <laughs> I gotta say, I, I do that impression of that commercial really well. But yeah, growing up, I started to call Irish dance my thing. You know, I I even have memories of the beginning of the school year and you're meeting your teacher for the first time and your teacher would then like break ice. So she'd maybe go around the room and be like, so what's your name? And what's your favorite thing? And typically when it came to me, I would be like, my name's Luke and my thing's Irish dance. I even have memories of my teachers back in elementary school on Monday mornings She would go around the class and be like, what'd you guys do this weekend? And, you know, the typical response from my classmates would be like, I played Legos, or I did my homework, I saw my grandma, I met up with my friend and we jumped on the trampoline, and my response would sometimes actually be like, I did a road trip to Portland, and I competed in a competition, and I won! Between the ages of six to nine, I actually had this really intense winning streak. And this was because... I was actually trapped in a level of competition that was just under the highest level of competition. So the highest level of competition in competitive Irish dance is called Open Championship. And the level that's just underneath it is called Preliminary Championship. And to get into Open, you need to win two preliminary championships with a minimum of five competitors well for about three years I only had about two to three competitors that were the same age as me and for about three years I won a lot of competitions so typically when I would go to school on say Monday morning and I would tell my class that I won a competition I didn't realize this but I think I quickly became this you know kid who was known as the very talented very special whiz kid in Irish dance And according to my parents, during like parent-teacher conferences, apparently my teachers would tell my parents that a lot of the other classmates would see me as the superhero. In fact, I even remember back in grade 5, I actually qualified for the World Irish Dance Championships in Belfast, Northern Ireland when I was 10 years old. Now, something that I remember that my grade 5 class did for me was they actually threw me a going away party. And, uh, you know, there was even green cake and other green foods. And there is some of the other boys in my class, they pretended to have these fake Irish names and they went to the front of the classroom and then my my teacher would be like, here's your competition. And then they would pretend to do a jig and it was absolutely hilarious. And some of my other classmates even wrote me limericks saying goodbye and how they kind of admired me. And yeah, it was a lot. And You know, I'm not trying to sound like I'm purposely turning my head away from this clearly very privileged and blessed classroom setting that I had. No, in fact, that story actually fills me with so much gratitude for my upbringing, and I'm so grateful to have had classmates who were just so supportive, and as a boy who does competitive Irish dance, like, I hear that's really rare. However what was starting to develop in me was this fear of letting people down. Now, for those who don't know, the fear of letting people down is actually known as atlophobia. And atlophobia is where you purposely avoid situations in which you could make a mistake or not perform your best, or you get anxiety over the thought of making a mistake or disappointing others. Some of the thoughts that I would think to myself were, if I don't do well, then I'm letting my classmates down. If I don't do well, then my parents will. wasted so much money flying me to Ireland, and worst of all, if I don't do well, then my dance teacher is going to be very disappointed in me. Now, at the time when I qualified for the first time for the World Irish Dance Championships, I actually had a dance teacher who was someone who really liked to use shame tactics as a way to motivate and inspire her students. I even remember one time she wanted to have a conversation with me and she asked me one day, Hey Luke, so why do you dance and I remember telling her well cuz it's fun and I kind of remember her just being surprised by that answer being like really that's it that's the only reason and I said well yeah is there something wrong with that and she kind of said like but don't you have fun winning and I remember saying like well winning is fun and then she interrupted me saying like oh so you do have fun winning okay so let's focus on winning now I have a theory about why I actually did so well in Irish dance as a child, and my theory is that I saw Irish dance as a form of play. Now, Dr. Stuart Brown, who's a psychiatrist, a clinical researcher, and the founder of the National Institute of Play, says that play helps us deal with difficulties, provides a sense of expansiveness, promotes mastery in our craft, and is essential part of the creative process. Most importantly, true play that comes from our own inner needs and desires is the only path to finding lasting joy and satisfaction in our work. It is so much easier to master something when you're having fun doing it. My dance teacher then made me start questioning my internal drive to why I love Irish dance, and she started making me think, am I foolish for not taking Irish dance more seriously? And am I a fool for living a life where having fun is a priority for me? Now, The book Atlas of the Heart describes shame as the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love belonging and connection this dance teacher made me feel as though having fun is a flawed mindset and that doing well in competitions is how one becomes worthy and so from then on i decided to throw away the idea of fun and i created this belief system in myself that my self-worth should be inherently connected to my results as a dancer yourself, like, how did this all suddenly come to the surface, Luke? Like, what happened to make you suddenly want to just unpack all of this? Well, it actually started a few years ago when I decided that I wanted to join a barista championship with Starbucks. You know, I I thought to myself, I've competed in competitions before. I know this realm. I know how it feels. It couldn't possibly be as bad as Irish dance, could it? Well, the experience was actually a lot of fun, and uh, it actually took place in a store that had already closed down for the night, and, you know, people then came in and started setting up cameras and lights, and it was really cool, you know, that, like, the, the judges actually sat near the handoff plane, and, you know, as I was making drinks, they would then ask me questions in real time about what I'm making, how I'm making it. And I had to make up stories on the spot about the drinks that I was making, and it, it was actually really cool. They even put like a lavalier mic onto my apron so they can like record what I was saying and all my and all my stories. It was yeah, really well done. And yeah, in this uh, in this competition, I actually had to make a refresher, a shaken espresso beverage, and a pour over cup of coffee. Now. I remember my refresher beverage I actually made a strawberry coconut drink which is made famous as the the pink drink but instead I actually put a matcha vanilla sweet cream cold foam on top and I called it the Cosmo and Wanda after um, a TV show that I used to watch as a child called the fairly odd parents where Cosmo and Wanda were Timmy Turner's fairy godparents and they would grant him any wish he'd like to save him from the miserable life that he has. And uh, they would often watch over Timmy Turner um, and hide in plain sight as just random pink and green things. Now for my shaken espresso, I made a drink called My Mom's Almond Brittle and... The funny thing about this is that I just had an idea about some ingredients and how they could work together. And my idea was, you know, a shaken espresso. So like a triple shot of espresso poured over ice, pump in some dark caramel, a pinch of salt, and then shake it all together and then top it off with some almond milk. And it was actually really good. But I didn't have any story whatsoever, so I just kind of made up, like, yeah, this is what my mom would make during Christmas time, but, like, in an almond brittle form, and it was definitely my favorite memory <laughs> of Christmas. This never happened. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, maybe maybe it did. I, I don't know. Maybe my mom did make almond brittle, and I'm pulling it from somewhere. <laughs> um... But I think most importantly, uh, my pour-over coffee was actually my favorite story, and I decided to uh, do a pour-over of the classic Pike Place roast, which is like the medium roast, and it's at every single Starbucks pretty much, and for a lot of people, Pike Place is just a really boring cup of coffee, but for me, Pike's Place is, you know, it really makes me think of like where Starbucks began and created this balanced foundation for my coffee journey, and so... Yeah, on Star Wars Day, which is May the 4th, I was working and I was put on uh the till and you know whenever someone came up and ordered a light roast, I was just like, "Are you on the light side of the Force?" And some people would say yes and some people would say no. And whenever someone would order a dark roast, I'd be like, "Are you on the dark side of the Force?" And some people would say yes and some people would say no. But When someone ordered a Pike Place or a medium roast, and then I would ask, are you on the gray side of the force? 100% of the time, everyone looked super puzzled. Except for those super Star Wars nerds who were just like, I know what you're doing there. I see you. I see you. You're good people. (laughs) Um... But, you know, before Disney actually bought Star Wars, there was this old philosophy where uh, there were people who could use the force and they actually learned from both sides. And it was their job or their duty to try their best to balance both sides. That's kind of how I created this connection between the gray side of the force and balance, because it's supposed to be a very balanced cup of coffee. Anyways, once I was done answering all of the judges' questions and telling all of my stories i wrapped it up and i felt like i nailed it i felt like i did such a good job and you know a few weeks later my district manager then sends an invite to gather all of the competitors into a teams meeting and that's when we were going to get our awards and you know i remember sitting in my chair and you know I pulled up the teams meeting and then suddenly this intense feeling came over me that feeling you get when your are breathing is shallow and you know that this this pulsing tingle that would flow through my stomach into my arms and into my chest and right down to the soles of my feet You know, it felt like everything was just on fire you know i i log on to the the team's meeting and there's my district manager and she says okay everyone so how about we watch a 30 minute video of everyone just doing their thing and i just remember thinking yeah great let me just sit with this feeling for 30 more minutes this is gonna be awesome i remember watching that video not remembering anything all i could think about was the sweat dripping down my arms from my armpits and i was trying so hard not to pass out finally the video finished and then you know they got to announcing the awards and They started with third place. You know, in third place, we have not me. I'm thinking, okay, cool. Then they announced second place. In second place, we have not me. And then (laughs) that's when suddenly I started thinking like, oh my God, I I won. I won the competition. And in my mind, I started playing this little movie where I was envisioning myself a few moments in the future when... They had already said my name, and I was surprised, and then I started crying, and everyone had applauded, and I could finally be proud of myself for once, and then they announced first place. And in first place, not me. I didn't even place. I mean, oh, that's fine. I mean, I'm getting paid regardless, so like, why should I even care about the results of this competition? Why should this matter to me? Why did it matter to me? I mean, yeah, later I did learn that I got best storytelling, and you know, to be honest, I nailed my stories. I know I did, and uh, you know, I kind of felt a little bit better after that, but still doesn't really explain nor excuse why I was getting so emotional over these award ceremonies. Now, I remember, you know, a a few days later I actually got to sit down with my counselor and I told him about this whole experience and him and I then later came to the conclusion that this must have been bringing me right back to when I used to compete in competitive Irish dance. Now, major competitions, they were a huge beast to me, and one of the biggest beasts out of them all was actually the North American national competitions. And uh, I'm going to be describing the North American nationals just because I have a lot of feelings about it, and uh, it's just going to be my example to help explain how major competitions go down. So. In pretty much every major competition, especially amongst the girls, there would be a lot of competitors. For girls, it was like easily like 60 to 150 competitors, and for boys, it was, you know, much less, but, you know, we get there. We get there sometimes. (laughs) And uh, to compete in a major competition, every competitor would be allowed to dance their soft shoe and their hard shoe round. Now, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, Irish dance is actually separated into 2 subgenres. We have soft shoe and hard shoe, and uh, they are based off of the different types of shoes that we would wear. Soft shoe, which was kind of like a extra sock that we would wear with a bunch of laces, the type of dance that we would do when wearing these shoes was a very jumpy, sprinty, leapy, kicky, High energy, petty allegro kind of dance. And um, hard shoe was that uh, rhythmic, stereotypical, aggressive, yet still jumpy, sprinty, high energy kind of dance. I mean, it's Irish dance. It has to be high energy, jumpy, and sprinty. That's just how it is, man. But after everyone had finished their soft shoe and hard shoe dances, the judges would then excuse themselves and go tally the marks, and then they would invite the top third back to dance an individual dance called a set dance. Now, this invitation was actually called a recall, and it actually indicated that the dancer also placed or meddled in the competition. Now, once every competition was complete for the day, everyone uh, would be then invited into a huge ballroom, and they would gather around a stage that had a podium on it. Easily... Maybe three to four hundred people would be piled into that ballroom. I even remember one year the air conditioning broke and everyone was just sweating profusely. But... What they would do is that they would then announce the the age group or the competition and invite all the dancers onto the stage and they would stand behind the podium. All of the dancers would be dressed up in their glitz and glam, you know, with the girls it would be, you know, the, the crazy cool dresses and their crazy cool wigs and their crazy spray tan and... I'm using the word crazy a lot, and it's not to be offensive. It's just, you know, if you're not in this world, you think we cray-cray, honestly. And the boys, you know, we would get dressed up too. We'd have to style our hair, and we'd have, like, really cool vests or jackets and ties and our black pants. And yeah, we'd be dressed up in our outfits, and we'd be standing on that stage behind the podium. And then what they would do is they would start to announce the uh, top five or top ten, depending on the year. The top five or top ten would then walk in front of the podium, and then that's when they would start announcing the results of everyone. They would go, you know, and in 50th place, we have blank from the blank school. And what you'd have to do is you'd have to walk from behind the podium to the front of the stage, then walk all the way across the stage to a person that had your medal, and then they would take your picture. And let me tell you, if um, you weren't happy with your result, that walk is one of the longest, most disappointing, most self-conscious, and if you're like me, dare I say, humiliating walks anyone could ever do. Now, I don't like to use the word humiliating lightly, because I feel it is a very, very heavy word to use. However, in the book Atlas of the Heart, they define humiliation as the intensely painful feeling that we've been unjustly degraded, ridiculed, Or put down, and our identity has been demeaned or devalued. Humiliation is most similar to shame in that we feel fundamentally flawed, but the most relevant distinction is that humiliation arises because someone else pointed out our flaws, and we don't feel we deserved it. The entire key to understanding humiliation is that when it happens to us, it feels unjust. Uh, I mean, let's just be honest here, like, I'm not going to be going home and feeling proud of myself for getting such an unimpressive placement. I mean, what are my classmates going to think when I come home? Are are they not going to see me as that superhero anymore? What is my dance teacher going to think of this placement? Am I just average? What I'm trying to say here is that if you were anything like me and you had an underdeveloped sense of self-worth or you created a very dysfunctional belief system in that you believe that your self-worth was inherently tied to your placement as a dancer, you would really feel like there is a lot to lose if you didn't live up to the expectations that you had for yourself. This was why I would just get so nervous when I had to attend award ceremonies at dance competitions. What would happen was that my sense of self-worth was at threat. So what would get activated was my instinctual response which is known as the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response. And to those who don't know what the fawn response is, it's actually the people-pleasing response. And many scientists and psychologists have recently discovered that people-pleasing is a very effective form of survival. So my instinctual response would get kicked in, and there'd be nothing capable of soothing me unless i knew that the threat was neutralized even after i had finished my set dance and i had bowed and you know my fate was already sealed i was still trying so desperately to control the outcome it wasn't until i finally got my result did i feel as though i could finally release and let go of All of those things that I was holding on to. Now, I am someone who likes to try to assume the best in people, and I don't want to assume that The Irish dance community is purposely trying to traumatize its dancers. No. So then because of that, I start thinking, why do they do their award ceremonies like this? Well, I do have a theory and um, it comes from this one year when I was competing at the nationals, when I saw a banner that had a picture of a boy who the year previously had won his championship. And when he found out he won, he just had this face of surprise that was just absolutely iconic. And so what they did is they created a banner of his face and underneath it, it said, catch the excitement. This spoke volumes. To what I believe are the intentions of the Irish dance community when putting on award ceremonies like this. They want to capture the excitement of when the dancer finally finds out that all of their hard work finally paid off. But on the flip side of that coin, you are also catching all of the other dancers who feel disappointed, let down, and humiliated publicly. Irish dance is supposed to be a sport for children, and these children are vulnerable and talented and driven beyond compare. And I really just think that we need to be caring more about their experience. I mean, yeah, if I was the recipient of the 50th placement in my competition and a room full of judges all agree that that is the fairest placement for me, then fine. But my question is, is, why do I have to go in front of 300 people and receive this award and pretend to be happy about it? Sometimes I would think to myself, like, is getting a recall even worth it if this is how I'm going to be treated when I get my results? Is it really fair to be exploiting my emotions all with the intention of trying to catch someone else's excitement? I don't know. I really don't know and i honestly don't know if me telling my story is going to change anything in the irish dance community all i can really say is that this was my reality when i was a competitive irish dancer now having said all of that and coming from a place of maybe realizing that even though i'm telling my story i'm probably not going to change anything how does someone take care of themselves in an environment like this Well, according to my counselor, as well as my friend who studies psychology, as well as the book Atlas of the Heart, what we need to do is cultivate more self-compassion. According to my friend who studies psychology, he says that self-compassion is about being kind to yourself when you recognize your flaws, encounter challenges, or perhaps when you make mistakes. It's about realizing that you are human and you aren't perfect just like everyone else. Self-compassion also means accepting negative feelings without being overwhelmed by them and letting them go. You know, there's a part of me that actually grieves when I hear that. I grieve the loss of a skill set that I never had that I wish I did have. To be able to look at myself and say, even though you didn't achieve what you wanted, you're still amazing and lovable and you belong and you deserve connection. That maybe you're not a superhero today, but maybe holding yourself to the standard of superhuman is not fair. That everyone fails, everyone falls short. That everyone is made of strength and struggle at the exact same time. If I could go back in time and teach my younger self something that I've learned now, it would be this. You need to have a self-compassion practice. Maybe even just like write out a script of some really nice things to say about myself and memorize it and say it to myself while I'm stretching. Anything. Anything. I would have been so much better off. And so with that being said... I now want to turn the mirror on to you, listener, and I want to ask you, what is your self-compassion practice? How are you being gentle and kind to yourself? I want to hear from you. I actually do yeah, I, um, I usually post on Instagram something per episode. So maybe you can find the Instagram post to this and go down in the comments and let me know, like, what is your self-compassion practice? And what do you do? What do you say to yourself? Have you even begun? Do you even think this is a good idea? I'm curious. And for the next episode, uh, I'm actually going to be diving into kind of a heavy topic. Um, But I do hope you tune in because I think there's a lot to learn in the next one. My goal is to get it done for next week. However, there's a lot that goes into these solo episodes, and uh, hopefully, I will be able to get it done in time. But if it's not done in time, I hope that you'll be able to forgive me. But what I'm going to be talking about is expectations and the dangers in disappointment. So yeah, I uh, I do hope that you will tune in. Um, I'd really appreciate you listening, and um, yeah. Thank you so much. The Dear Brambling Podcast is a podcast dedicated to my little nephew, to the next generation of humans growing up in this world, as well as to those who might be looking for a little more guidance in their life. It is hosted by me, Luke Benoit, The editing and sound design are provided by mb productions as well as hideout productions the music that you're listening to is called sunlight cascading through the clouds by artificial music if you'd like to follow me on any social media i am on instagram and twitch at lucatronosaurus rex and for those who are still listening this far into the podcast i'd like to take a moment to really thank you from the bottom of my heart I'd also like to say that, if you are experiencing any difficulties or pain in your life right now, there is still no substitute for a trained coach, counselor, or licensed therapist. If you are committed to putting in the work and really trying to better yourself as a human, I definitely recommend that you go searching and shopping for the right coach, counselor, or therapist for you.